Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 70 degrees out there. 611 feeling pretty darn awesome. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. We have a great show lined up for you. Uh, you just heard her on the air delivering the news, but did you know that Sloan Martin is also now the new voice of the Minnesota Lynx? She also got quite a bit of buzz when she called a number of the boys and girls state high school hockey games. She was the first woman to, uh, I believe, call a, either a girls or boys name. We, we will check in with that as well. But uh, she is the uh, first woman radio play-by-play announcer for a local pro team with the Minnesota Lynx. So... Kudos to her. We're going to talk to her about that. We're also going to talk with Marsh Hallberg, who I have uh, talked to a number of times. This is in the second half hour here about that extraordinary verdict in the uh, Mohammed Noor case uh, and also now the city of Minneapolis agreeing to pay the family $20 million. And I'm going to ask uh, Marsh Hallberg, who's a criminal defense attorney, if the fact that there was a guilty verdict, did that kind of speed up the fact that there was a settlement on Friday in terms of this lawsuit? Uh, the family of Justine Damon Ruschek was originally suing the city of Minneapolis for an excess of $50 million. So is that something that the city of Minneapolis was actually looking at and kind of worried about, and that's the reason they settled? Uh, in our 7 o'clock hour, uh, we are going to talk with Roshini Rajkumar, who has a brand new podcast. It's very exciting. You hear her here on Sundays with News and Views, but a very cool podcast as well. And then we're going to get the latest on this measles outbreak, what you should know, what you should do, uh, what you should know if, if you have a brand new baby in the family who's under a year old. There's so many questions. Do you need a booster shot? What about the shingles shot? All of those things. Uh, we're going to visit with uh, an infectious disease specialist. So, excuse me, a sneeze there. Uh, keep it right here, folks. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. We'll be right back. It is 616 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy, along with Devin Marshall, our producer, and Sloan Martin, who just got the job. She is the new voice of the Minnesota Lynx. Congratulations, Sloan. Thanks so much, Esme. Yay. It's been a really fun week. Right. Well, Congratulations and kudos to you. You're still going to stay here on your day job, so we will still yes. hear you doing news for WCCO. That's right. But how does somebody, because I, I have I have a kid that's going to uh, college for sports journalism. He oh, really? actually is not interested in play-by-play, but he says everybody wants to do play-by-play. Oh, wow. And, and, and he says, you know, it's really tricky, and a lot of people try and get these internships with uh, teams, like minor league te- baseball teams, oh, yeah. and, you know, do yeah. that. How did, how did you decide to get into play-by-play? Because you also called some of the state high school hockey league Team, uh, high school teams, uh, their, their championships. You've done uh, state high school basketball. How did you get into this, and, and how difficult is it to break into this field? It um, frankly is really difficult, and I took a little bit of a different path. I did not go to my like minor league baseball, which is a really good thing to do because you get those reps. They are extremely underpaid. We're talking about stipends of you know five hundred dollars a month for eighty hours 
more weeks and oh, things God. like that. Because usually you're, <laughs> yes. you're, you know, you're working so many different jobs and stuff. For me, it was more of a personal thing. Um, just the way the, my jobs and my personal life and having to make money kind of intertwined. I didn't really have that option to just go do that. So I was in the Western New York area and along with other jobs I was working in media would just do play by play on the side, carrying and shuffling my equipment to rural areas in Western New York. For, for high school or for, yeah, co- for high school? For yes. high school. Okay. Um, that's really how it started for me, uh, working for a really small station. I was also the solo newsroom reporter at this one. <laughs> okay. I'm sure you may be able <laughs> yes. to uh, sympathize with me there. Reading obituaries, pancake breakfast, yes. spaghetti yeah. dinners, obviously also reporting too but during nights i would go by myself down you know no right. matter how and obviously it was and, and, and obviously not and and high school basketball high school basketball is is, is big in a lot of places it's very big in that part of oh yeah New York State, you yeah know? um but so you basically were making nothing but you were broadcasting these games yeah. and i do think um somebody who's good is is just good at it, but it takes a while you don't just get to be a Dave Lee like this, you know, you, 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 it takes a lot of practice and everything like that. So you kind of got your experience doing these high school games. That's exactly right. Cause then I took those high school games and then I went to division one basketball in Buffalo. So we're talking about a top 50, 55 market or so. And then it was like, all right, I'm also working at a news talk station, reporting and anchoring my job. My entire income is broadcasting, which not everyone can say it really is a tough road. Um, right. and something that I was able to find myself in a pretty good position before moving to Minnesota about two and a half years ago. Uh, but but how about women play by play? Because I, are, there are not a lot of women out there doing no, this. Is, there I mean, there, there are a lot of women sports reporters, which is great. It's great to see them. It didn't used to be the case, but you see a lot of them. But you don't see people doing play by play. I have never personally face to face met another woman who does play-by-play. I have talked to them online. I have spoken over the phone, but never in person. I've worked with other women as analysts, and I'm happy to see that kind of becoming more prevalent to see. Right. But in terms of that specific role, play-by-play, I have not come across another person uh, in person. They're obviously out there. Um, I've gotten some work um, with Big Ten Network, Lisa Byington is there. She's one of their their top play-by-play uh, broadcasters at that network, and I've talked to her uh, uh, just this past week. But uh, really, yeah, you don't see them. And, and there was, a, I mean, you got a lot of publicity when you called you know, the state high school championship a boys' game. Yes. I mean, that was suddenly boys wow, hockey, yeah. wow, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that that's pretty unusual to have a woman? It's it's and it's crazy that this would be unusual to have a woman calling a men's game or a boys game. You wouldn't think that in this would, day and age, yeah. You wouldn't think that there would be so many barriers to doing this because there are women who are interested in sports, who are interested in this Absolutely. career, who have the talent to do it. I think it is just a matter of the people who are hiring, the people who can see this as a normal pathway, and just making those hirings more common. Because then it just becomes more acceptable and then people start to grow up seeing it and then it becomes really not a newsworthy thing. But right. I, I think it's also women and girls are just not funneled into that role. They are mostly uh, pigeonholed kind of on the sideline. And that was something and it was even looking back, it was semi risky. When I first started working with 45 TV doing the high school championships, I told the basketball, uh, football and hockey, it's football and hockey. OK, right. Um I told, and this was me moving to Minnesota. I had no jobs because I dropped everything that I had to move here. And I said, I do play by play. 
And I just left it at that. And uh, Dennis Silva, the executive producer, said, all right, we'll we'll do it. And I could have said, you know, I want any job possible. I'm willing to do anything. And I am. I think sideline reporting is so hard to do really right. well. Uh, but I said I wanted to be in this role specifically. Right. Right. And and it is. It, it's a different job. Um, and I did, you know, as I said, my son goes to uh, journalism school and he showed me an article about two kids who had gone out to Chatham, Massachusetts, which is uh, on, if you're going to go someplace and not make any money, Chatham, Massachusetts is pretty nice. It's on Cape Cod. <laughs> but it was fascinating because it, it this particular minor league baseball team. It was they reviewed all of their tapes. I wish I'd had somebody do that. I kind of did. You know, when you're starting out in in the news business, kind of go over it. And they they were using cliches or they were um, saying the same thing over and over again. You know, they they were really picked apart. And this one little team is known as sort of a good breeding ground where people really can improve and get better. How did how do you did, did you and I you know, I'm. I hate listening or looking at myself like on TV or radio. I'm like, ah! <laughs> no, even though all the years I've been doing it, I'm like, no, you know, I just, I, which is probably not good because that's the way you go. Oh my God, Esme, why did you do that? Or, you know, you had, you know, mascara running down your nose or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 um, how did you kind of grow into it? Because I mean, this is, you know, this, this is a pro team and it's a big job. You're going to be traveling all over the place. I mean, how did you get sort of get better? You know what's funny is that for the longest time, it was my spouse who also works in media and as a voice that I really trust. Um, we've known each other for 11 years, so we've seen the entire development of our careers to this point. So, I mean, we used to do our homework next to each other in our dorm room, and then now here we are, both as media professionals in the And what is your spouse do? I'm sorry. Um, he is a host at uh, 1500 uh, okay. Hubbard Broadcasting. And uh, he was from two to four Monday through Friday. And so that was really the, the, the person who pushed me along and who's I trusted so much his ear. Right. Um, that was very huge. And then now, as I've kind of taken these next couple of steps, now it's producers. Now it's people who actually evaluate talent who are able to tell me things. Um, and, you know, as you get higher, now I trust those voices. You right. Know what I mean? right. So right. it has been kind of this progression, but I was very lucky to have someone because I'm the same way as me where I hate yeah, going yeah. back and hearing myself. And it's I think like, about yeah, all the things like I wish chalk I on a blackboard or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was the thing, too, is like I used to hate my voice. And people used to say, what are you talking about? Yeah, because you've, you've got a really nice voice. Yeah, they were like, that is such a strong part of like what you have. But for the longest time, did not like hearing it. So it is good to hear from other people, I think. But you just have to know whose ear you trust. Right, right. And so you're going to do this and, and um, you know, for the season. And how are you going to – I suppose it, it's – one of the ideals, is, I suppose, is to get assigned to a team and to do that team regularly, which is really interesting because you get to know the players. Yes. But, but that's a pretty demanding schedule, isn't it? I mean, just to do the games and then you've got to travel with the team. You travel with the team? Yes. And it is more challenging. And this is something that, um, you know, WNBA players have brought up. They have opted out of their CBA and hoping to, to get a new one for the 2020 season. And one of the things is that they fly commercially. So there's no real quick turnaround. There's no flying after the game, getting home at 2, 3 a.m. and then starting over the next day. Oh, it's they've got to go all, through TCA exactly. like the rest of us. Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. Um, so that is a little bit different and uh, something that they have to deal with, particularly in that league. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be demanding travel wise. It's a 34 game schedule. So half on the road. Um, 
but it's going to be more spread out than last year. Last year had a condensed schedule because of the uh, world championships that were in September. So they had to basically smush everything together. So we're going to have some days off. We're going to have some time just here uh, at home in Minneapolis. So it's not going to be as bad as last year. So I'm going to tell myself that. Right. And I mean, that, that's that got to be considered a big jump to be going from high, even though the high school, the quality of the high school broadcasts here in Minnesota is it, remarkable. I mean, you know, Channel 445 does a great job. You know, oh, yeah. The radio broadcast. broadcasts are, you know, you've got Dave Lee doing it. You're doing it. I mean, you, there are people really who are, are extraordinary, you know, extraordinarily talented, but it's got to be a big jump to, to go to a professional team. No, that's. A huge, that's the really exciting thing about it is that, I mean, the, you think about the last two people who have held this role. Um, we all know Alan Horton and sure. John Fokey. He is, which, by the way, I mean, John Fokey just did a fantastic job. He's moving on to the Charlotte Hornets. There's only 30 of those jobs, and he just secured one of them. So wow. just fantastic for him, and he really valued this league and this organization. It was so apparent in his work. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to kind of pick up that baton. Right. Well, and as, as I told my son, I was like, really, this business is really competitive they're not that and especially in sports you know sports is so much harder because there are that many fewer openings i mean oh, yeah. we, you know we, we have a newsroom with you know a bunch of reporters and you know everything is getting leaner these days and kind of more streamlined but there are only a few sports openings i mean it's that's much right. much tougher that is what makes it so difficult and i don't think i want you know, you go back and forth because you want people, of course, to, you know, follow their dreams and, Absolutely. and really go after things that light that fire under them. But I think maybe too few people, professors, uh, students themselves need to be realistic because you could spend years toiling in the middle of nowhere for zero money and before realizing, like, you know, you got to really think about how this is going to work out. And that's not to be negative or discouraging, but it's like maybe that's something that would – make things a little bit easier, especially early on. It's difficult getting anywhere right, except after graduating right. from college, let alone this field where there is really no laid-out plan to get to where right. you want to be. Yeah, and, and you know, people, of course, graduating, especially now these days, is, you know, have the, the loans and just it's, oh, yeah. it's really tough. And a lot of these entry – I mean it, it, it is it, – it's a really cool job. I mean it, you know, it just sounds really cool and really neat. It's also a lot of work. It's yes. a lot of you know long hours. I mean people sort of forget that part of it. And, you know, It is – and the job I have is more interesting than, than – it's a wonderful job, but there's a lot of long hours. There's a lot of frustration, a lot of headbang. Oh, I could have done that better or else you make a mistake. You know, and I think we're all very hard on ourselves. But um, it, it is it is really tough, and that's what you know. One of the things to have a kid want to go into it. I'm like, you know, yes, it's really cool, but just you know, and you think, oh, if you really want to try this, you got to go, yeah. go for it. You so. know, there's a select few who are able to find themselves with a great job in a dream city, but that number is so small. Right. Um, so it's just being prepared to be in market number one sixty or something. Right. You know, your first job, right. and I think that was the other thing too. I really liked how I have been able to also do news to be more versatile. It's offered me more job opportunities, and I just I'm also interested in things that aren't basketball. Oh, yeah. I love basketball. Yeah. All right. Well, Sloan Martin, congratulations. Hey, Sloan, Thank and it's really interesting talking to you and just sort of hearing about it. But I, I know how hard. It, I mean, I can't even imagine how hard it must be because, the, as you said, there are so few jobs. And so few, and it's got to be so competitive at every turn. So anyway, thank you so much. We're glad you're still going to be here. Thank you, Esme. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm happy about the support in the building, too. Okay, absolutely. Sloan Martin, the new voice of the Minnesota Lynx.
All right, folks. So we're going to take a break. We're going to give you some weather. Then when we come back, we're going to turn to Marsh Hallberg. He's a criminal defense attorney. He's also a former prosecutor, and he's somebody that Channel 4, somebody that I have turned to uh, for help kind of getting you know an, an analysis and a real look at the Mohammed Noor trial. Of course, that verdict came down. And when I talked to him, we t- I talked to him right after, I mean, just literally within minutes after the verdict. I'd like to get his perspective now. And also, of course, on that $20 million settlement with the city of Minneapolis. So keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. It is 635 in the Twin Cities, 70 degrees. Well, one of the big stories, the biggest story of the week, obviously the conviction of Mohammed Noor. Uh, in the murder, he was convicted of murdering Justine Ruschek Damon way back in uh, July of 2017. And obviously a lot of people were wondering what the verdict was going to be. A lot of people thought that he might get convicted of manslaughter. But he was convicted on a third-degree murder charge that apparently is very rarely charged at all. It, it actually says in that statute that somebody had to have, quote, a depraved mind, which I'm not quite sure what that means, but somebody who helped me out, helped WCCO TV out, uh, helped us out here at WCCO Radio. I heard him on with uh, Paul and Jordana as well. Is Marsh Hallberg? He is a former uh, prosecutor. He is also a current, well-known criminal defense attorney, and he joins us again right now. Marsh, thank you so much for coming on again. Love to be with you. All right. Well, you you were so great. So again, I want to thank you for helping us out, helping me out, helping uh, Paul and Jordana, helping the folks out at WCCO TV sort through it because it's – I imagine it might be even complicated for an attorney. It's certainly difficult for somebody who is not an attorney to really try and figure out exactly what's going on in in a complicated murder case. So thank you again. You bet. Okay. Um, now that you've had a few days, and I did talk to you r- literally right after the verdict within a matter of, of minutes uh, for WCCO-TV, you've had a few days now um, setting aside this, and I do want to get to this $20 million award in, in the civil case, this, that settlement, but just on the criminal case, any thoughts You know, a few days later? What, what sticks out in your mind? Well, a couple of things are just the real inconsistencies. Well, one is the time of the whole thing, has been right? That we had the verdict come back within a day of the deliberations starting. Um, and with, what, 61 witnesses and 1,000 exhibits, I just thought, again, everybody can do it differently, and a jury has no obligation to take longer. But, gosh, I just always, my experience has always been when a jury's going to convict somebody of murder, they want to think about it long and hard and double and triple check what they're thinking. And uh, that usually involves going through kind of systematically all the evidence, and obviously the jurors chose not to do that. Um, right. So one, the time of the verdict, timing of it being processed right. and done was just shocking to me. You know, right, yeah. Thing. And so, so what Marsh is explaining is that um, the, the, uh, the case went to the jury, I think, at 2.15 on Monday, right. and then they um, deliberated till about five, 6 or 7, and then they came back with the verdict on Tuesday at about you know, three o'clock, they came yeah, back with it with, with the verdict. Obviously, they had a lot of breaks and that kind of thing. But there were sixty witnesses in this case, and there were a, a thousand exhibits, which is just that sort of mind-boggling. So to come back with eleven hours of deliberation, very, very fast. And they remember they had three counts. There were two different murder counts: second-degree murder, which was um, 
with intent but not premeditation. You had the manslaughter charge, which he was convicted of, and then you had this third-degree murder. So, so what you're saying is that it's very quick. In in my experience, when when a case has been that serious, when the charges are that serious, and it's super fast. It's been an acquittal, but but is that something you've experienced? Or? Absolutely, yeah. I think all of us would have bet the farm when we heard the verdict was coming back on Wednesday that, my gosh, they're only on a day. That is really uh, optimistic for the defense. And I, I, I was guessing at that point he might go down on manslaughter three, maybe. But, uh, you know, and we were in the courtroom, obviously, and they, they find him not guilty on the first call, and they go, here we go, not guilty, not guilty. And then big shocker when they convict him of the uh, murder three charge. Right, so they convicted him of the second-degree manslaughter and then the um, murder charge. So, so that surprised you. You actually um, saw a lot of the testimony, and and that's really actually remarkable because the access to this trial was extremely difficult. Uh, yeah. First of all, the actual courtroom where where it was tried was uh, it, it's the smallest courtroom I've I've ever seen in the Hennepin County. Uh, Government center. I mean, it's it's much smaller than the other courtrooms, um, and so yeah. that there aren't simply aren't that many seats. There was actually an issue about seating, uh, and, and then there the overflow area was was that was a little bit more standard. Still not not very big at all. But you actually saw it. Um, when you think back on it, what do you think it was? Because and one of the things too that we have that's a little bit unusual is normally the jurors, normally reporters have the jurors' names. Right. And and we don't. They, they were um, sealed uh, sort of during the process and then they remain sealed now. They were supposed to be released, but the judge for uh, their privacy and, and their safety sealed them. First of all, how, how rare is it that, that the judge – that the jurors' names are not made public at all? I've never had them. I've had some extremely serious cases. In and a high profile. Yeah, very high profile, very serious murder cases that maybe didn't get as much press, of course, but I've never had that happen. So I think there's just been a, an abundance of caution here trying to protect that process. Um, this judge does not want this case done twice. And uh, I think she tried to, her rulings a lot of times were between the rails and try to keep things, you know, pretty uh, predictable in that sense. And so I think the same thing with we don't want something to backfire even somehow after the verdict is and that could raise questions as to the validity of the process. Okay. So so, so you say that that's extremely rare. Extremely rare. Right. Yeah. And I've seen it um, in some cases, but, but then at the end they are released because right. the, the, the premise of our court system is that it's an open system. Right. For all to see, it doesn't take place, you know, behind closed doors in some secret chamber. It, it's it's a public trial, right? That's what the Constitution. That's what the Bill of Rights is. It's a public trial, right? It's a fair trial. There's no actually no. There's no right to a, a trial by your peers. We all hear that phrase. That's actually not in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. That's actually something that evolved with with law. But uh, it's a it's a public trial and a fair trial is what you have the right, right. to. And then um, one of the things, and I wasn't there. I, I I did go to the trial. I was not there after the jurors. They, they had alternate jurors, which means sort of extras in case you know somebody gets sick. It was a long trial, so they had four extras. Four extras were dismissed. After the four jurors were dis- extras were dismissed, it was still it still had to be a relatively, and I mean that that word strongly, relatively diverse jury, wasn't it? Oh my gosh! For for, Hen- for Hennepin County, because frankly, folks, normally the, these these uh, juries in Hennepin County that I have seen tend to be almost all white, despite the fact we have a much more diverse uh, population here in Hennepin County than we used to. But a lot of the times, you have a, a 
strong majority white jury. This had – it's not that there were a lot of African-Americans, but there were people of color. There was you know, Native American. There were, there were um, uh, people who looked East Asian. Um, what, what were your thoughts about the, the jury that, that ended up uh, deciding this? Yeah, well, the, your final 12, I think you had what? You had 10 men, two women, and uh, six uh, six minorities out of the 12. Right. And that's you know, half. I've Again, I've never had that. I've had well over 100 jury trials in Hennepin County. Wow, and, okay. Uh, uh, never never seen that happen. I mean, with this white, it's white bread Minnesota. And, right. Uh, it just doesn't happen. And it, it was a pretty blue-collar jury, I thought, also. Obviously, I think the four-person was, uh, the, it was uh, the doctor, uh, but... Um, um, but I thought they were really going to relate well to him, which, and again, his first first part of Mr. North's testimony I thought was very humanizing, and I thought, boy, he's going to click with these jurors. They right. told his life about him, Kenyan, Somalian, his duty, his civic duty to be a police officer and those kinds of things. Right. Um, uh, but looking back on it, and you actually did tell me you thought some other parts of, of his testimony was rehearsed. What do you yeah. think it was? Do you think it was maybe that he did sound too rehearsed? Was it that there were differences between his testimony and uh, Officer Herity's testimony, for instance, Officer Herity didn't hear the sound, you know, that the slap on the squad car. Uh, what what um, what do you think it, it might have been that convinced the jury, obviously, overwhelmingly, because it didn't take the didn't. It's not like they had to, you know, deliberate long over this. They, they came to a verdict very easily. Yeah. What, what do you th- what do you think it might have been? Well, I think there were some. I think Herity came off the driver came off very well. I think he came off like, "Look, I am not going to lie. I'm not here to throw my partner under the bus. Um, so I'm going to say things as best I can to help him. But if I'm pushed on a question, I will say what is true." And I think he came off very believable to the jury. And there were a couple. Of big, I think one of the biggest things that was a big difference between Herity and, and Nora was that Herity said he already had his gun out and it was down on his waist area, his lap area, when he, you know, looked over his left shoulder and saw this shadow or image where he thought he saw. And and Norris said, no, when he looked over and he heard uh, Herity say, oh, Jesus, that he saw Herity flailing at his gun and there's a trigger on the holster release to let your gun out. It's a safety device for people can't grab a cop's gun. And he said Herity was kind of flailing, trying to get that okay. trigger undone to get the gun out. And that's a big difference because if I'm seeing he's trying to get his gun out, he can't get it out in time. That's a lot different than he's got the gun on his lap. If he wants to shoot somebody, he can raise it up and shoot them. Right. So I thought that was a big point. Right. Well, and that certainly is a big point. If if you've got you know the the gun is stuck in the holster and you can't get it out, you know right. th- th- it's very different from having it at the ready. And and I know that that um, one of the things that that um, Officer Noor, you said the thing that he kept repeating is that he shot to save his partner's life. In other words, to save Herity's life. Yeah, I, I think it, I think it, it's good learning by the defense because you, can, you, you don't win. A witness on the stand never wins going against the lawyer who, who sets the rules and picks the questions and can ask leading questions. So you don't try to tangle with the prosecutor. You know, you're going to lose that battle if you're a witness. I don't care who you are. But I think they gave, I would assume they gave Mr. Nore a fallback. When you don't know what to say, you say it was a split-second decision and I had to save my partner's life. And unfortunately, I think there were times when, Again, he's got to do the best he can do, but he would be asked a simple question. I'm, I'm making a silly example, but like, what's the weather? And his answer would be, it was a split-second decision. I had to save my partner's life. And it came off as just, because he said it over and over and over again. It just felt too rehearsed. And I just wish he did a little more conversational in that part of his testimony. Right. Um, and the third-degree murder charge, you you told me that that is something that, that is extremely unusual, very rare charge. And I know that there was even controversy and debate about 
putting that charge there. He ended up getting convicted of that, and that's the more serious charge. That has the longer sentence on it. Um, I know it's a max of 25 years, but realistically, what is he facing on each of these counts? Yeah, so the the uh, murder three charge he was convicted of, is, we have what are called the Minnesota Sentencing Guidelines, which is a formula. It's a mathematical formula where you, we now determine somebody's sentence. Years ago, you used to be rewarded if you were rich or white or whatever. And they said, these are so biased, these outcomes for two people, the same offense is not fair. So they try to scrub away all the other factors. And there's two main factors, your prior record and how bad a charge it is, how serious is it. Those two kind of go into this grid and this mathematical calculation to determine what your recommended sentence is. It's not the maximum, it's what's the recommended one. And for Mr. Knorr, with a zero criminal history score, the recommended sentence is 150 months. Um, and you take off a third of that. Everybody on every case in Minnesota gets a third, state court gets a third off for a good time just to show up and behave yourself. So that's so more than 10 years. That's 11. Yeah. Nine. Yeah, he'll end up 100 months. What's that? Nine months. Nine years, excuse me, a couple months. So um, the judge has a range. It's quite, it's like a 120 to 170. I can't remember the exact numbers right now, but she has a wide range, but the average number is the 150 number. So when you walk into the courtroom for sentencing, the judge, the presumptive sentence before either side argues for up or down is the presumptive sentence is 150 months in prison. And that that's for, for the count, the, the murder count. Right. The other charge is a 48-month sentence of prison, actually going to prison, so you do two-thirds of four years. But we in Minnesota, you it's called merging. If you have a, they're out of the same court of facts. They're both convictions are from the same thing, and you can't oh. punish twice for the same thing. So the little one gets eaten up and is called merging. It merges into the big one. So he only gets sentenced on the 150 months on the murder two. Okay, uh, murder three. Excuse what me. What are your thoughts uh, about that? I mean, this guy is not going to go out and kill somebody again. Uh, well, yeah, it's. I mean, because yeah. he's not no longer a police officer. I, I think. Right. Yeah, that's the hard part. I mean, the defense can argue, look, judge, don't penalize this guy because it's such a high-profile case. Look at it in the moment. It was a snap section, you know, second decision he made. Did he make a horrible, tragic, wrong decision? Yes, but he's not a threat to anybody else. He's got no prior record. He's going to be extremely remorseful. All the things you would want. What? How much better is society off being more safe or punishing him? for whether he gets two years, five years, or 10 years, right? I mean, in, at the end of the day, if you're really trying to do justice, what is that point? Uh, right. and course, I mean, I, mean I, I, don't see what, what, uh, I don't see what locking him up for 10 years does. Well, what the, the, the government will push back and say is that... That's what the jury order, wanted. Yeah, and this is, this is what the guidelines are all about. And this is, you know, the recommended thing from this whole commission, all the studies is, he shouldn't be treated any worse, but he shouldn't be treated any better. Is what the government will say. And the average Joe Blow gets convicted of murder three. He's getting 150 months. And there are a lot of times when that's the case. So that's the argument they're going to make. And I would expect that the judges, I would be shocked if she'll depart outside the guidelines. Again, she's trying really? to stay inside the, yeah, I think she's going to stay inside the guardrails. A question I have, and I honestly don't know the answer to is, how do you protect a police officer in prison? You can send him to another part of the country, but with Google and everything else, right. I, it was so commonly my... You know, clients that are in prison or something will say, 
you know, the other guy was curious about me. He asked his girlfriend when she was home to check out, you know, who I was and what my record was. So you got to believe word would spread fast in any place in this country that he's a police officer. Right. Well, they've already moved him from the Hennepin County yeah, Jail for part. his own protection to, to St. Cloud, which is a maximum security facility. Yeah. Um, Marsh, we have to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, I want to ask you about that settlement and how much that guilty verdict and specifically the murder verdict uh, played into the fact that that settlement was arrived at so quickly. So keep it here, folks. You are listening to News Talk 830. More with Marsh Hallberg after this. And it's 6.52 in the Twin Cities. Uh, Esme Murphy chatting with Marsh Hallberg. He is a former prosecutor, criminal defense attorney, uh, somebody who sat through a lot of the testimony uh, in the Mohammed Noor case. He, of course, was convicted this past week of murdering uh, Justine Ruschek Damon. Let me ask you about this $20 million settlement, which has arrived at uh, within days of this verdict. Uh, the actual lawsuit uh, that was had, that had been filed uh, and that was going to be uh, sort of played out uh, by the family of Justine Ruschek against the city, against uh, the police chief, against the, the Minneapolis Police Department, was going to be in excess of $50 million. They settled uh, very quickly for $20 million, which is a record figure. Did the fact that this jury found him guilty not only just of manslaughter but on the one of the murder charges, did that – give the city sort of a kick to say, well, hey, we better settle this? Well, I sure think so. And I think they had to have kind of been working through their scenarios before they met here to have gotten to that huge number in such a short period of time in negotiation. And usually that's a process that can take months back and forth. And let's, we'll go back to our, talk to our people. You talk years, blah, blah, blah. And that didn't happen here. So they, they were ready to open their wallets quickly. Um, and again, astronomical number. Um, I knew they pled for that much. And I, I was I was thinking it'd be less than that. I thought it'd maybe in a ten million dollar range. You know, most of the other verdicts have been what two to four million. I think other things that have been paid out. So it was a it was a big number, fast. Um, and is that um, if if it had been an acquittal? I know this is hypothetical. I, I'm just no. sort of curious how this works. Would would that have been different in terms of the negotiation? Would the figure have been lower? Yeah, I, well, yeah, who knows, right? We're not in the room. But, yeah, I, I certainly would think so because they'd say, you know what, uh, perhaps it's because Mr. Noor is a very sympathetic character and, you know, person and, uh, you know, that this, he tried to follow his training and horrible things happen. That's part of what's out there. And cops have this horrible, hard job that, you know, everybody can backseat drive but second guess. So there are a lot of arguments that can try to whittle away from that. But I kind of sense that this was a family that was committed to go forward with this. And, you know, money is obviously important and it can help try to fill that hole slightly. But, you know, they were ready to litigate this thing. And at some point, money was no object in a sense. They wanted their day in court. Right, um, right. You know, because the depositions, as you know, in civil court, unlike criminal court, you, have, you don't do discovery. You don't have depositions, interrogatories, questions the other side. You don't have that. So in this case, it opened up the ability with the criminal case over that nobody could claim the fifth or something else that they could have gotten really burrowed down into you know, the internal policies of the department and training and, you know, was was no rush to get out onto the street, you know, those kinds of arguments. Should he have been an officer? And that's yeah. one of the questions that was, Yeah, so you he know. pushed to be out there. And I get that. It's important with a large Somali population to get, you know, people that can relate to you out there as well. And that, you know, that's an issue. The ambush training was that proper. All the stigma of the jury, you know, nobody likes this blue wall of silence argument that was being made. And the defense did a good job of saying that's not what we're on trial here for today. It's not obstruction of justice. It's not if other cops are 
Greg in their heels to help Mr. Norris. What did he do when he was thinking when he shot that gun? But that right. could have played out. That could have all played out in a civil case. Right. And, and, and that's the kind of thing. And as I said, the, the settlement. So, so now this is done. And, and by having a quick settlement, too, the family is everyone is spared. Yes. Having yeah. to go, go through this all again. Yeah. And the city is spared. I mean, and that's a big part. I mean, this would have been in the news constantly. And this would have been another big trial. And uh, who knows what the number would be. Right. It's uh, and again, if nobody could be more sympathetic than, the, you know, this this family and this woman. And uh, uh, so it's I mean, I understand why they got there. But God, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Well, I, and I think that there were actually real questions that there were things that came out that and it didn't come out in the trial, but it came out earlier in documents that I'm sure would have been brought up in the civil suit about uh, there were people who questioned whether he he was qualified to be a police right. officer just in terms of his temperament. I mean, I can't think of a, a more difficult job where you're put in these situations and have to react that quickly. I, it takes a very special person. And along the way, as he was in training people, there were actually some questions about that. And that obviously would have come up. And that could have been huge for the city because right. if you put a ticking time bomb out, there would be the argument that the plaintiff would make. Right. And, and I think that that was actually – that is actually out there in this person's history, which is just uh, compounding the, the tragic situation. Well, listen, Marsh Hallberg, thank you so much once again for helping us sort through this. It's just – it's a fascinating case and uh, obviously we will all look at the, at the sentencing, which is coming up here in June. Thank you so much. Thanks, Osman. Have a good night. Okay, take care. care. Uh, Marsh Hallberg certainly uh, been a huge help in in, in sorting through this case and obviously uh, a lot, a lot still that we have to think about when it comes to that. All right, folks, Rashidi Rajkumar is coming up next and our 7 o'clock hour about our new podcast. Keep it right here. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 